Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Ephraim Mayer, who is Professor Emeritus of Modern Jewish Philosophy at Bar Ilan University, Ramat Gan, Israel. From 2009 until 2017, he was the Levinas Guest Professor for Jewish Dialogue Studies and Interreligious Theology at the Academy of World Religions, University of Hamburg. From August until December 2018, he was Research Fellow at the Center of Theological Inquiry in Princeton. He is the president of the International Rosenzweig Society. I could go on and on about his scholarship and his works. I've been a big follower and fan of, of uh, Professor Mayer's, so I'm honored for you to take this time. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So to, ju- <laughs> excuse me, to jump right in, how would you distinguish between the, the enterprise, the project of interreligious theology or dialogue, and how that differs from pluralistic theology or pluralistic dialogue. Okay, so let me start with uh, uh, some remarks on uh, John Hicks' work in the 70s and 80s of the preceding century was uh, talking about uh, the pluralistic uh, theology and uh, he made really a Copernican revolution in in this way that he says that the different religions are perspectives to uh, what he calls the ultimate reality or the real, that means God. So he, uh, so to say, uh, replaced the geocentric uh, thought with the heliocentric thought. And Alan Ray's world authority on uh, interreligious dialogue and cooperation has made the distinction between inclusive, exclusive, and pluralist uh, attitudes of religions. Exclusive, that's, I have the truth, you don't. Uh, Inclusive is, all of us have partial truths, but I have the old truth. And pluralistic theology is the recognition of the fact that uh, uh, others have their perspective on the truth. Now, what is the difference between this pluralistic theology and my interreligious theology? I think pluralistic theology is a big step forward as I said, uh, a Copernican revolution, but interreligious theology goes further in this sense that uh, it supposes an interaction between religions, learning from other religions, mm-hmm. uh, extending hospitality to uh, other religions, being a host in the house of uh, uh, religious others, mm-hmm. and therefore there is a kind of communication or interchange between the religions, which is a beautiful opportunity not only to um, enhance your spirituality, but also to make peace between the religions, which, according to Hans Küng, is a precondition of bringing peace in the world. 
Very nice. So what I hear you saying is obviously exclusivist and inclusivist don't go far enough, but even pluralistic, it doesn't go far enough in that it's relatively passive in our understanding of truth as opposed to interactive and engaging. Is that right? That's right. I love the interaction because uh, that is the uh, uh, lofty uh, opportunity of the human being that one can translate the own in the words of the other and that one can understand also the world of the other in his own words, meaning uh, the human beings have the capacity of communication and we didn't do enough in that sense. Right, okay, so what, what, what are some of the Jewish philosophical underpinnings of that interreligious theology? Well, dialogical Jewish philosophers have this uh, emphasis upon the I, which is an, uh, a relating I, an I in relation, uh, Jewishly speaking, hineni, here I am. Meaning the here I am is the response to the divine and uh, this is the uh, very uh, uh, backbone of the I. So the I is uh, not an isolated uh, I, but uh, that would be only a mental construct, but uh, I in relationship. So I find, for instance, in uh, Franz Rosenzweig's uh, philosophy, uh, this concept of the I. The I is a responding I, respondio ergo sum. I am answering, therefore I am. Meaning this kind of uh, uh, talk is uh, uh, fitting in a, in a philosophy of the end. Uh, Rosenzweig left the end. God and the world is creation. God and the human being is revelation. And the human being mending the world, that means the human being and the world, is uh, uh, redemption. Mm -hmm. So the word end is important. Also in the reaction to revelation for Franz Rosenzweig, it's not only Judaism that is reacting to the divine revelation, it's also Christianity. As for me, I bring all the religions as reactions, as legitimate reactions to the divine revelation. And also uh, I learned from Abraham Joshua Heschel uh, that this is not only a question of uh, uh, intellectual uh, interest in uh, metaphysics, but it is about a decentered uh, uh, religiosity, which can bring us to a, uh, uh, improving the world. As we know, we uh, uh, went uh, with Martin Luther King from Selma to Alabama in order to promote the rights of the black people in the state. So it's very deep-centered also. It's not only intellectual activity, which I see in dialogical uh, uh, philosophy and theology. It's really something which has to do with a task of the human being, which is fitting also uh, to the concept of the emet. Emet is not an abstract uh, concept. The emet is... Uh, the truth comes from the earth, from beneath. Mm. Meaning, we, we make it, we do it. It's a question of doing. And she uh, met is trustful people. Uh, if we read in the, when we read in the Torah, it's, it says, uh, we trust in God and in Moshe. It's trust, it's a question of existential attitude. So it's not a question of uh, intellectual. Uh, uh, things, but uh, about doing, doing.
doing doing the truth. And here I'm helped also in the Jewish philosophy with some uh, traditional elements. For instance, the Torah is written in the language of the human being. So I have to understand it and to see that all the all what is written is human reaction to the uh, uh, to the divine uh, initiative. So in that sense, I see also an intra-religious uh, plurality in Judaism in the saying, uh, These and this are the works of the living God. If we can extend that in an inter-religious uh, realm, then we, uh, we earn a lot, I think. Uh, because Beautiful. this plurality is not only true for our intra-religious Jewish world, but important also for the entire world. Beautiful. It's very inspiring, and I completely ag agree with what you're saying. And and I wonder, for those who may be skeptical, how, how would you reconcile uh, the need for interreligious dialogue with some of the traditional Jewish commandments in the most extreme form of wiping out Amalek or the most mild form of not having Gentiles touch uh, Jewish wine? Um, or someone like Rabbi Soloveitchik, sort of the founder of American modern orthodoxy, who felt that we shouldn't talk about God or theology with Gentiles. We should just collaborate. You know, how would you how would you uh, respond to uh, to uh, that? Well, I, I'm uh, not agreeing with uh, Rabbi Soloveitchik in that last point. I think that in my religious interreligious uh, theology, what is central is trans difference. So the differences are there, but there is a possibility of communicating between the different religions. Mm -hmm. So there is the particularity which has to be uh, kept and uh, 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 honored. And at the same time, there is the possibility, the lovely possibility of communicating between the uh, different uh, religions. So is that in contradiction with... Uh, with uh, some commandments, I would say no, because it has not to be <laughs> reconciled. Because in trans difference, you have differences and they have to be kept. But the, between the differences, we have the, the dignity of difference with Jonathan Zaks. But the, between the differences, there is a communication. So the communication is the most important thing. Now, what, do, what are you doing with Amalek? So Amalek, if you see in the Jewish tradition, it's interiorized. Uh, also, the soldiers of David become the, uh, the uh, leaders of the yeshivot, for instance. So also, Amalek, it's uh, something within us. Also, we have to improve and to mend the world in us, in ourselves. So, in that sense, uh, Amalek is interiorized. The, the violence of Amalek, of this command, is mitigated by the rabbis who interiorized uh, this entire Amalek thing. Because in the Midrash, for instance, it's written that Timna, the mother of Amalek, she wanted to convert and the, of the uh, non-acceptance of Timna uh, uh, as a Jewish uh, uh, is the reason for the raising up of Amalek in rabbinic literature. So you see how this command is interiorized. And then we have, of course, the commands of Kashrut, etc. It's, a, it's a, a border making, of course. But uh, see also that in the, in the beginning of Christianity, uh, the Jews who 
became Christians, they kept the commandments. They kept the commandments because they, they wanted to keep their particularity. And uh, Shao of Tarsus, Paulus says also very clearly that uh, uh, the Jews have to continue to, to, uh, to observe the commandments until the third century and the fourth century. Jews who became Christians were keeping their particularity, keeping the mitzvot. The women were going to the mikveh. How do I know that? Because I read these Ascalia in the third century and the uh, uh, Christos at Versus Yodais in the fourth century. So we see how the church then, in a way, not, did not respect the particularity of Judaism over within her own uh, home. Mm -hmm. But uh, in a way, the, the, the term trans difference avoids many problems. Because on the one hand, you have peculiarities, and on the other hand, a common world. Belonging is not only belonging to a particular world. It's not only belonging to a general world. If you only belong to a general world, you forget your embeddedness in concrete uh, historical context. And if you only have your particularity, you become fanatic because you are not linked to your belonging to the general world. Mm. So transdifference, in my view, uh, solves a lot of problems. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So it used to be that four years was nothing. To, for any phenomenon to occur, you needed 400 years. Um, but you wrote your book on interreligious theology in 2015, and the world seems to be changing fast. And I wonder, um, has your opinion rega regarding this viability of this interreligious dialogue change in any way based on any global events over the last four, four years or not? Well, thank you for this question. I, uh, I'm very glad for that because, you know, uh, only a few days ago, in the 27th of October, we, uh, we learned that uh, uh, al-Baghdadi, uh, uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, uh, killed himself and uh, he, so he was eliminated. And we see here in this case that uh, certainly are uh, eruptions of violence, the violence uh, of uh, uh, ISIS of Daesh uh, was already there in 2014, but it became very, very sharp uh, years after. And uh, so this, of course, influenced my thinking because uh, I'm, I'm really promoting dialogue in every sense, but there are limits. And the limits are when somebody doesn't want a dialogue, when he wants to kill you, and you can't, you can't have a dialogue. So in a way, uh, I had a reaction, very interesting reaction of Peter Berger on my book, uh, Interreligious Theology. And he wrote, uh, that it, it is all right, it, uh, it was a positive uh, review, but he had a caveat. He said, uh, uh, pay attention, because there are limits to the dialogue uh, out of moral reasons. And he says, uh, let us think about uh, the Aztecs in Mesoamerica uh, in pre-Columbian times. Let us think about that. And he says, 
Suppose that there are some uh, descendants of this uh, Aztec uh, priests, and they are invited uh, today by the Council of Churches in Geneva, and they are saying, uh, oh, welcome uh, of the Aztec uh, uh, delegation, and we are very glad to uh, welcome you, and we want to hear you, to hear how it is, uh, uh, how the gods need the human sacrifices. So please, we invite you to talk with us. So it is clear that there are limits in such a, in such a dialogue. Right. And also, even Martin Buber, such a dialogical person, what he said in '53 uh, is that Hitler was such a, 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 such a person that the evil, that he became so entangled with evil that an unbridgeable rift separates him and the rest of humanity. Yeah. So there are, there are impossibilities yeah. of having a dialogue. There are limits to the dialogue, and we have to, to recognize that. Great. It's not an utopian. Dialogue is not an utopian. It's a difficult thing. Yeah. It is an, 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 a not easy process, Great. but I think it's a response to the fanaticism and to fundamentalism and dogmatism and to this kind of standpoints with, which do not promote a peaceful right. society. Beautiful, beautiful. And it's not just pragmatic, it's, 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 it's epistemological and it's humble because of the epistemic humility that we're always searching beyond. So l let me ask you, um, you know, I mean, uh, the, the, <laughs> the uh, two thinkers that influenced my thought the most um, were 20th century Buber and Levinas. And so I'm, um, I'm overwhelmed with humility to talk to such a scholar of such figures um, <clears throat> who I've thought about, but you've thought much more about. And so I would love to hear, you're obviously influenced by global events. You're obviously influenced by Jewish thought and by reason and philosophy in general. But how have Buber and Levinas uh, influenced how you think about dialogue? These are giant thinkers, and uh, uh, you talked about humility, so uh, uh, one has to humbly transmit also what they are thinking in, in depth. But I was very much inspired by these two giant thinkers. Uh, from Martin Buber, I learned um, mainly that it is important to be present. To be present. He is talking about the Gegenwärtigkeit, to be present. If you are present, then you can make the other person present. And if the other person is present, he can make me or she can make me present. So the presence, the agendaless presence, the being there for the other, is a precondition for every real conversation, for every real meeting. And this I learned from Martin Bober, that the eternal Tao comes into the perspective, so to say, if I'm relating and if I'm present before the other, without uh, a prioris, without uh, observing, without uh, making uh, categories, without a fragmentary uh, approach, in a holistic approach, I'm there for the other, and then the other can be really there for me, which makes the encounter really possible. That's a great thought. It's a Simple thought, but very difficult to realize. To be there for the other human being and just to have this deep listening to the other 
what does he have to say? How can I be there for the other human being? It's not a cognitive thing. It's an existential thing. One has to be there without any preconceived ideas, which is a simple and very difficult attitude. From Levinas, he was uh, a great philosopher, but also a great Jew. And uh, uh, I love uh, to think about the correspondence between his Jewish thinking, his confessional thinking, his professional philosophical thinking. Uh, I, uh, I have written about that. But from Levinas, I learned that the otherness of the other is not to be a, uh, so to say, absorbed in the sameness, mm. meaning that from the other's face mm. comes a command to respect and to honor him. After the Shoah, he says, Lot Hirzach, thou shalt not murder. So in that sense, you have to give life to the other human being. Now, this, is, this otherness is not a cultural otherness. It's not a religious otherness. It's an ethical otherness. The more I honor the other, the more I enter into a spiral of infinity, which can be the equivalent of the divine, meaning I never reach the divine. I never uh, reach uh, this stage of completely uh, answering the demand of the other. But I'm commanded to honor the other. And uh, this uh, command, this command makes the I an I. The I is in that sense a hineni, and here I am. This is for me a great lesson for uh, interreligious theology. I have to honor and to uh, listen to the other in order not to grasp his otherness, I never grasp it, but to respect him to see him as a human being who lives his own relationship to the world, to the other human beings, to the divine. Yeah, fascinating. It, you know, given their eras uh, in relationship to the Holocaust, it almost feels like Buber's bar was pretty high, almost like striving for a global unity, a utopia, whereas Levinas's bar is seemingly low. Let's not kill each other, right? And um, respect, you know, but actually that's quite difficult also. So here's my last question for you. One of the ways I've understood their difference is, is there political implications to the encounter with the other? And if Buber is a, a little bit more of a spiritualist in this sense, there's this agenda-less presence, you said. In the I-thou, I do not exploit you or make you instrumental to some political cause, right? Whereas it seems like Levinas, there are immediate political implications, moral and political implications to the encounter. And so I wonder, on the realm of activism, politics, and social change, when you think of interreligious dialogue, do you think about that the way I'm talking, uh, uh, and a little bit oversimplifying, but the way I think of Buber as sort of a, uh, you know, for the encounter itself, or a little bit the way I'm describing Levinas, you know, that has a broader political agenda to it? Levinas came rather late uh, to, uh, uh, to express uh, uh, his uh, ideas on uh, politics and on society. So his main question was, what is the relationship between the same and the other? So there's also, uh, but he came to the stage in his later writings. So <coughs> how do you express it 
this idea of thou shalt not kill, this is a thinking which is uh, fitting after the Shoah. With Buber, we have a more utopian thinking. We have a, a more soft thinking, so to say. So um, we perhaps need both. If I compare Levinas with uh, Rosenzweig, Rosenzweig would say the essence of uh, revelation is thou shalt love. That's pre-Holocaust thinking. Thou shalt learn. First, thou shalt love. The, the, you are commanded to love. Ve oh, love. love. Thou, thou shalt, shalt love. Right. Yeah. So the, the, this is pre-Shoah thinking. Yeah. Buber, in a way, continues that uh, yeah. thought that uh, we have to be related to the other. There's this big contribution in an I and Thou in 1923. For Levinas, the, uh, the, the is anliegen, is a very uh, uh, aim of his theology, or philosophy better, uh, is that we are commanded to respect the other, meaning before you are loving the other, on going out to the other, there are limits. And the limit is that you are not uh, you are not allowed to hurt the other human being this has of course political uh, and social uh, consequences i think we need both i think we need this uh, rather uh, uh, idealistic uh, thought we have to go out to the others but we have to know also that first of all be before you are starting loving the others just respect the others and see that what he wants is simply to have good life. So bring him life, bring him life. Uh, do not transgress this uh, uh, commandment of thou shalt not uh, murder. But we need both. We need the, uh, the loving kindness of Boomer and we need, we need also this limit of uh, 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 living us. I would say very shortly that uh, if you have only uh, love without the dean, without the uh, judgment, then you, you are anarchic. But if you have only the dean, if you have only the judgment without uh, love, you, uh, you do not start being a <laughs> human being because then you are only a cruel human being. Between cruelty, and on the other hand, anarchy, that is the good Jewish recept of loving and having the deen. Deen, Berachamim, the father and the king, both belong together. And this is our, not only our theology, I think also our Jewish anthropology. Beautiful. I'm so inspired by your work. Friends, make sure to check out Professor Ephraim Mayer's books and, and articles. And uh, we're so grateful for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.